Thanks for tuning in. Another edition of the Hypocritical Podcast headed your way. Joining me this week, Rick Kuahara, your Chief Operating Officer of Powbox. Hey, Elena. Great to be back again. Thank you so much for joining me, Rick. And we've got a stacked show with lots going on, and we're going to dive right into the news. What can you tell us about the very latest? Okay, one of the big things in the news right now are, of course, coronavirus-related attacks. We talked about it on the last show, how hackers were using coronavirus-themed uh, emails and phishing attacks to target um, individuals and some companies. Well, it turns out that researchers have found that it's not just private companies who are, who are targets of these cyber attacks, but also uh, government organizations and they're finding that the hackers themselves are actually nation-backed, um, what they call advanced persistent threats or APTs. So these are groups of hackers that governments actually pay to go out and try and uh, hack or um, get information or intelligence from other countries. So you can think of it like um, a spy movie, you know, if you go to a spy movie and you you know, like CIA is saying, Hey, this organization got hacked. Someone, you know, hacked us. And it was um, another country. Um, I think, you know, Russia is always a bad guy in most movies. So let's say Russia hacked us. Um, that is what is going on right now. Um, and it's actually a constant thing. Uh, but they're finding that, um, a lot of these um, attacks have changed their method over to coronavirus-related uh, themes. So an example would be um, a campaign that researchers found where they're targeting the personal accounts of U.S. government employees. So they used phishing emails that posed like they were American fast coming from American fast food franchises. So you could think like Burger King or McDonald's saying, hey, here's a free meal or here's a coupon, um, click on it to redeem um, and trying to get people to click on it or even do online ordering in order to get them to phishing pages where they're then um, collect their credentials. So really sneaky, you know, a lot of these type of promotions are legitimate and they're going out and um, the hackers are trying to, impersonate them to get people to click on and, you know, kind of hack into um, different government organizations to get intelligence. Interesting. And like you said, sounds like it's right out of a movie or a film. Um, anything like this happened with the World Health Organization? Yeah. So they were in the news recently and they confirmed that they were attacked um, in March. And it was a site that was set up that kind of mimic their um, internal email system. So they were trying to get uh, agency staffers for the World Health Organizations to like reset a password or something. Basically, they'll send them an email to their personal email saying, hey, do this and take them to a site that looked like their actual internal email system to get them to log in and take their, um, take their credentials. And they think that it was uh, an attempt to get non-public information regarding vaccine research and other um, 
COVID-19 related um, intelligence, which is pretty interesting, you know, as, you know, we're also, we're trying to get the vaccine to help, you know, get everybody back to somewhat of a normal life. You know, that is also big money for whoever can, you know, get a vaccine out first. So that is very sensitive information. And it, um, yeah, they confirmed that there was an attack that happened uh, not too long ago in March. Wow. And, um, and they're not the only ones, right? Yeah. I mean, everybody's kind of under attack. China's under attack. Um, that government, the Wuhan province, there was a, an attack uh, from a Vietnam-linked group um, that tried to go after them to take intelligence regarding how they responded to COVID-19 and their research and things like that. So I think from what researchers have found that, you know, some of the countries that um, a lot of organizations are linked to include like Iran, South America, Vietnam. And even though, um, you know, it's making the news right now because the, the tactics have changed to COVID-19. Um, it is interesting that the general rate of attacks have kind of stayed the same. It's just that, you know, they've changed uh, methods in order to be more effective during the pandemic. Excellent. And, you know, this is valuable information. And thank you so much for always sharing that with us. Uh, do you have another news headline that we should take note of? Yeah, something else that's been in the news front page of a lot of uh, news sites was um, the rollout, somewhat failed rollout of the payroll protection program, which was supposed to help small businesses. Um, and, you know, it's a huge amount of funding that was given it was 350 billion dollars that was claimed in like a matter of days um, but what's happened is um, they found that there are a lot of uh, hackers who are trying to get um, attack these you know threatened small businesses and prey on their anxiety to kind of uh, steal their um, information and hack into their emails so there's been a rise in phishing emails that were sent out where they pose like uh, it's coming from a lender uh, to help them with their payroll protection program saying, hey, you need to sign this right away so we can get you your money. Um, and, you know, if someone clicks on it, then uh, get their information in there, then people can steal credentials and access their emails um, and really, you know, hurt the businesses. And a lot of these are really um, businesses that are already hurting. So it's like kicking someone when they're down. And unfortunately, it's not that unusual to see hackers preying upon, you know, anxiety and fear in order to get, um, you know, in order to get access to uh, sensitive information. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, taking you know, taking vulnerable vulnerabilities and using them against people. Very, very sad. Uh, what are some things that people can do to ensure that they don't make that kind of mistake? It goes back to, um, you know, trying not to move too fast. Just take your time to really look at the emails um, and being sure that, yes, this is legitimately coming from, you know, my bank or a lender that I did submit a loan request through. And an easy way to do that is just to make sure that you are looking at the sender's full email address and not just a display name. So, uh, for example, you know, a display name would be like uh, your name would be Olena, 
queue, but anybody can make that display name. I can send an email, change my display name to Olena, but the email address will stay the same from who is actually sending it. So just, you know, that's one simple trick. Um, and another thing, just being sure that you are thoroughly reading the email itself because a dead giveaway a lot of times is if there are some small grammatical errors or, you know, these hackers a lot of time are trying to spin up something really fast. So there'll be an error in the uh, logo or something like that. You know, just being aware that if you see anything like that, it's a red flag. And I always feel as though when it starts off with dear sir or madam, <laughs> that that's kind of a red flag too. <laughs> right. Typically your bank knows your name. So mm -hmm. yeah, that can be a giveaway. All right. Well, as we transition over, we like to also highlight those that are winning and failing. And so we're going to start with the winners because we always like to hear some good news first. Right. And this time, you know, we have not one um, particular winner, but it's really, um, I think just, COVID-19 uh, research in general. So we found uh, that 28 companies, including some tech firms, are collaborating uh, to create a COVID-19 database uh, based on information from electronic health records. So a lot of stakeholders are working together to put together this database. And what it's going to help with is a lot of the research and development of effective treatments and drugs, um, identifying demographic data uh, that can help point to, hey, this person might be more susceptible versus another. One example comes from the Cleveland Clinic, which is one of the biggest healthcare providers in the country. You know, they've teamed with SAS and have co-created a series of models to help hospitals anticipate um, resource planning needs during this pandemic and made them available on GitHub, which is a code, um, a resource that uh, for coders and programmers. Uh, so people can take this model that they've created and use it for themselves to take a look at their supply chains and see, oh, based on, you know, these factors that are going on, maybe we have to order more um, of these supplies to help us, you know, with what we think will be an increase in demand. So those kind of predictive models have, are really helpful um, to make sure that there aren't shortages. And if there are gonna be a shortage that the healthcare providers can proactively um, act to it and not um, be reactive and where there is a danger to um, you know, people's health. That's wonderful. And so, so very proactive, as you mentioned. And what's really nice about it is usually when we talk about people who are winning each week, there's like one or two, but what we're talking about are 28 people. And so that's great. Yeah. With a bigger impact available, you know, as you know, this database gets um, more accessible. So that's really great. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, priority being taking care of people and treating people and having those resources available. So that's wonderful. All right, we're going to transition over to failures. And uh, we've got a pretty hefty one coming off the top. Yes, a really big one, $8.9 million. Um, Banner Health uh, finally reached a settlement over a data breach that happened back in 2016. And it's stemming from a class action lawsuit against Banner Health, where there was a data breach that impacted more than 3.7 million patients, uh, members, and beneficiaries. So what happened was back in 2016, Banner Health announced that 
there was a breach of its, its food and beverage outlets payment processing. So like if you go to the cafeteria and you run your credit card, you know, that system got hacked. So hackers are able to leverage the system to get access into Banner Health's network with where the patient files are. Um, and the hack was not discovered until later, um, about a month later. So there was a lot of data that got compromised. So the settlement is $8.9 million, but um, it reimburses individuals uh, for $500 per breach. And it does help with some um, expenses if there was any identity theft or fraud. So it's a pretty big payout and a lot, a lot of people who were affected. And it does make it one of the largest breach-related settlements in healthcare. Um, Primera was the largest one, and that was over $74 million. And that breach affected 10.6 million patients. Um, more recently was a settlement uh, from Washington State University, uh, April last year, which was about $4.7 million. And UCLA had one too, that was about $7.5 million. So big numbers, um, primarily because it, it affected a lot of people. I see. And, uh, you know, obviously lots of lessons to be learned. And that's a lot of money to be paying out, but uh, having yeah, the information. Lessons, but yeah. <laughs> And I just started flashing back to, you know, visiting someone in the hospital and grabbing lunch <laughs> with my credit card. <laughs> so uh, good to know. Good to know. And, uh, you know, that hopefully they're taking better precautions at this point. All right. Well, this week, Rick had a chance to chat with TJ Walsh, a licensed professional counselor and psychotherapist, educator, painter, and curator. In this interview, they talk about the impact of the coronavirus on therapy and how the next generation is already removing the stigma of mental health. Take a listen. So how has delivering services changed with the coronavirus? Yeah, so that's, you know, obviously a really... A uh, big, important question for my field in particular today. So the counseling profession, psychotherapy, um, has been a really, really slow field to adapt um, over the course of its history. It's notoriously slow and frustrating, um, especially to providers who want to be more flexible and want to be more forward thinking um, in their delivery of uh, therapy to, to clients. So the coronavirus has forced change upon the counseling and psychotherapy profession um, really quickly. Um, so quickly that it's left many therapists who are risk adverse or um, uh, slower to embrace technological change, um, it's left them kind of reeling a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, the delivery of services has had to go online because we don't have any safe or effective, um, effectively safe means to uh, provide care to folks in person anymore. Um, some therapists have to provide it in person still and generally those people are in like a hospital or inpatient or intensive outpatient setting where um, online treatment is not um, 
is not recommended due to the challenges that that patient is facing. But for the majority of us in private practice or outpatient settings, um, we've had to really quickly um, adapt to the, the fact that it's not safe to be in person. And that's meant to go online and to figure out how to deliver services um, securely um, to our clients without causing them concern, without putting us in undue risk as the provider. Right. But do you see that move to um, telehealth and more virtual services as a potential benefit for the future? Yeah, definitely, I do. I think while I said a minute ago that the field of counseling and psychology has been slow to adapt, there have been over the uh, past few years folks in the industry um, who have been um, pursuing uh, telehealth as a primary mode of um, delivery. Um, it has just been slow to catch on both from the professional side and also the client side. Um, I think now as we are seeing um, more people out of necessity coming online and receiving their uh, therapy sessions um, today, that will, that will hold and increase um, over the next months and years. Um, there's always been some, um, uh, some back and forth in the, in the therapeutic community about whether or not telehealth, uh, whether by telephone or uh, video conference, is as effective as an in-person mode of delivery. Um, and the research shows that um, it's actually just as effective. Um, and so we can, assure, we can reassure our clients that um, the therapy that they're receiving online um, is equally effective as the therapy that they receive um, in, in the room with, with us um, in person. Um, you know, there are some cases where um, telemedicine is um, counterindicated, meaning that um, for that particular person and their challenges, it may not be appropriate, and then we have to figure something else out. But for the vast majority of, of clients who engage in private practice therapy um, or outpatient therapy, um, telehealth is just as effective. That's great. Good to hear. And you know, I think especially of people who are maybe more rural areas, especially that could help yeah. or. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, it, it's for sure a question of access, right? right? And um, if one of the ways we can provide quality psychotherapy or quality counseling services to people who live um, at a distance from a city or a larger um, population base, uh, where the therapists tend to congregate, um, you know, through the use of online tools, then we should be doing that. You know, there is still the question about um, whether or not those more rural communities have access to right. um, high-speed internet, but that is also something that we see being tackled, um, you know, in the mm -hmm. technology field as well as, as we're growing. Yeah, I know that's why 5G is so exciting for a lot of people right now. For um, sure, yeah. Yeah, to get to those areas. And yep. I, I think one thing that comes up with it too is um, there's still a lot of stigma around, you know, 
mental health and getting um, assistance, you even telehealth might help with that because you don't have to walk to an office anymore. Yeah, over the past few years, actually, we've seen the, um, well, the type of clients that I work with, mm-hmm. um, I should preface that this is all based on my experience. And from my point of view, other therapists, other people who work with different populations than I do, of course, have their own, um, their own experiences. But from my experience, most of the people that I work with um, talk about their therapists and their therapy within their social circles. So we do see with um, more and more um, types of delivery platforms coming on the market for therapy, um, different uh, types of openness with the younger generation about taking care of themselves. Self-care is of course like this, like, you know, term that everybody throws around now that the stigma um, of going to a therapist is 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 reducing Um, that's not to say that the stigma around mental health challenges and diagnoses is changing very quickly but at least the fact that like you know your best friend goes to a therapist and so you shouldn't be ashamed to go to a therapist either is um is definitely changing um, we see platforms like um, uh, BetterHelp and things of that nature really starting to change the conversation. Um, my, uh, I, I'm not that kind of therapy provider. Um, it's just not what I do, but um, it definitely helps in terms of the visibility and reducing stigma of people who engage in therapy. So it's really great that, you know, that younger generation is really becoming more accepting of therapy. You know, I know just anecdotally myself, you know, my wife is a high school teacher yeah. and, you know, there are a lot of, a lot, I want to say it might not be that there's more issues, but just that we're more aware of it now from when, you know, we were growing up um, mm-hmm. that, you know, there's, there's, a lot of things that are pushing on the youth these days. I mean, there's social media, the mm-hmm. perception, um, like you said, self-care, how people view themselves. And, you know, there's data that there's more broken homes now. Um, yeah. All these issues that are going on, you know, I think that mental health is something that's um, even probably more important, you know, growing up to have that support. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I think our our youth um, are up against challenges that you know generations before them have not been up against, right? I mean, every generation has their challenge um, and has have things that cause distress in their life, um, but this particular generation, I think, the pressures of uh, succeeding, of image management, of, um, of uh, performing at a particular caliber when measured against their peers is like pretty immense. Um, you know, we look at data around the use of social media um, in general, and we're finding that people who, um, 
use social media a lot, right, um, are about 2.7 times more likely to be depressed than um, people who use social media more sparingly. Wow. Um, and we see that for depression and we see that for anxiety as well. Um, the more you engage in social media, the more anxious and the more depressed you're likely to be. Um, and so when we look at the younger generation who uh, your wife works with probably, or um, you know, the kids in college, students in college, right? They're on social media all of the time, right? They're checking social media tens, tens of times a day, right? Like multiple, multiple times a day, they're always on it. And so if you're constantly being fed an image of perfection, right? There's going to be um, that expectation or pressure put back onto yourself to match that image of perfection. And so um, that's what we're seeing, see, that's what we're seeing happening um, today. Um, and then also the type of parenting that happens um, in, uh, in our culture um, tends to be very, very, um, well, it can be two different, two different ways. It can be micromanaging and helicoptery, or it can be totally hands-off. Both of those ways are not helpful to the development of an individual. And so um, being, that not, being that we see students not being um, kind of directed in a healthy way sometimes, we see them becoming more anxious and more depressed um, and more um, stressed out about success. Um, so yeah, social media, parenting styles, um, and the culture at large today is really having an effect on the mental health of our youth. Thank you so much, Rick, for that wonderful interview and one of many that you've got. Yeah, it's always fun to, you know, talk with, um, in this case, TJ Walsh was a, is a customer of Powerbox, um, and really learn about, you know, their insights into their profession, you know, they're experts in what they do. And it's always interesting to talk to people uh, about what they're passionate about. And for the full transcript of that interview, you can log on to our website. That's powbox.com, P-A-U-B-O-X.com. Thank you so much for tuning in this week and be sure to follow and like and subscribe to us, the Hypocritical Podcast, Wednesdays right here. Thank you so much for joining me, Rick. Thanks, Elena. Until next time. <laughs>